worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, Leslie talks to us about her recent trip to Disneyland and why she enjoyed Oogie Boogie Bash so much. Find all the episodes of this podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you find podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can check us out on Patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered where you receive bonus content. Or you can also support the podcast by using me as your travel agent. It'll be no cost to you and I can help you plan your Disney or Disney Cruise Line vacation. Get started by emailing josephchung at travelnation.net. If you have any questions for the podcast, email us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com. Tweet at us at www.deciphered on Twitter or find us on Facebook and Instagram, DisneyDeciphered. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. And welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So Leslie is fresh back from her trip to Disneyland. She went to the Halloween party, which say what you want about the two parks. I feel like it objectively, the Halloween party is busy is better at Disneyland, but uh, we will get to that in a little bit. If you would like to hear our live trip reports, I have a trip coming up in November for Wine and Dine Half Marathon Weekend at Walt Disney World. You can check us out on patreon.com slash Disney Deciphered. And we have some new patrons to thank before we get to the episode. So really just want to give a shout out and thank you to Matt M and Jennifer J for signing up recently. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. And again, thank you to all of our patrons for following along with our silly trips and listening to our silly extra thoughts. All right, Leslie, let's get to this trip. You went over a weekend and Let's start by talking about, you know, you had a little mini meetup with your Disneyland with Kids Facebook group, which has been referenced a couple times here in the past. But since you were there for a mini meetup, why don't you tell us a little bit about that Facebook group? Sure. So about five years ago, I started a Facebook group with three other awesome Disney and family travel bloggers, Becca Robbins from This Crazy Adventure Called Life, Julie Big Boy from Mom Rewritten, and Jessica Sanders from The Happiest Blog on Earth. So check out their blogs as well. But uh, yeah, we started this Facebook group just because we wanted there to be like kind of a community for families planning trips to Disneyland because there are a lot of Facebook groups that are kind of for the annual pass holder crowd, for the Disney adults. And we kind of wanted to address all of the logistics, especially of sort of families traveling from a lot of them out of town for like a longer vacation and how to do Disneyland that way. And it's grown beyond our wildest expectations. We're like well over 30,000 members now and just created a spinoff Disney World with kids. So you can get in early on that as we start to do more of the other Disney Coast as well. But really just great awesome ladies and it's nice to be able to compare notes with other experts you know you and I do it every day for Disney World so it's nice to be able to have that for Disneyland as well yes come to the dark side for your Disney World with kids spin-off Facebook group and although we are normally 
on the dark side, talking about the East Coast, or at least the dark side in Leslie's. Yeah, this analogy has gone too far. You know what I'm saying. Leslie's more Disneyland focused. And we're going to talk about Disneyland today because you sounded like you had an amazing trip. So let's kick things off with what I alluded to. Oogie Boogie Bash which is the Halloween party at Disneyland, uh, which really seems to stand head and shoulders uh, or at least shoulders above Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party at Disney World. And I think this is at the very least because of the amazing treat trails where you have some amazing character interactions. So tell us a little bit about Oogie Boogie Bash and let's start with the treat trail since the Coco one is all the rage right now. So the tree trails at Oogie Boogie Bash are definitely the highlight, as you said. And when they started this party back in 2019, they only had five of them, five of these interactive character uh, tree trails. And now they've been so popular, they're up to nine. So each year they kind of put a new villain in several of them and bring back some of the most popular villains. And like you say, the really popular one this year is um, Ernesto de la Cruz from Coco, who... You kind of have to see it to believe it. I put a couple of video clips on my Instagram stories. It's it's awesome. It's He has this mask on, but yet his face still moves. I don't know how they did what they did, but it's mesmerizing, and I kind of just wanted to stand there forever. But, yeah, some other new villains um, that are really kind of deep cuts as well. Madame Mim from Sword in the Stone, and then also Mother Gothel from Tangled were the new villains this year, and they brought back... Some of the other ones that were popular last year, Agatha Harkness, Sid from Toy Story, Dr. Facilier was back. It was awesome. The the tree trails are really and truly a highlight because you get your trick-or-treating in and you get your entertainment in all in one fell swoop. So it really feels quite efficient. For someone who has only gone to Mickey's Not So Scary like myself, it took me a little while to realize that... You know, there are trick-or-treating trails at Mickey's Not-So-Scary, but you just kind of walk outside of the Monsters, Inc. one that they run sometimes where you can sit down for the show for a little bit. You know, you're just kind of walking in, grabbing your candy and leaving, whereas these tree trails, even if you're waiting in line or maybe you want to wait because you are getting to interact with these villains. And it's weird to me that it is in California Adventure, which is where... Oogie Boogie Bashes and not at the Magic Kingdom, since ostensibly the Magic Kingdom has more space. That's something uh, you know, we plan to talk about the differences between Disneyland and Disney World and why Disneyland gets all these characters, uh, at least speculate about it in uh, our next Unfiltered for Patrons. So, you know, we'll save that for then. Not that we really have any answers. It's mostly speculation. But for those of you who don't, like me, don't exactly get what these tree trails are, it is a trick-or-treating line but you get this cool entertainment from these villains. And I think that's really great and should be in Mickey's Not So Scary. Yeah, I don't understand why they aren't bringing it to Disney World because it really, you feel like you're not waiting. Like you say, you you want to watch the character while you're snaking in line and you aren't as really focused on the candy and how long it's going to take for you to get the candy. And, you know, I, I would not do the treat trails if I were solo. I mean, I really don't care about the candy. So I, I'm just doing it for the characters. So it's, it's really awesome. And then it's also more efficient because the other thing they have are these character meet and greets. And the lines for those are really and truly brutal because everybody wants their photo and it takes time and you have to scan the photo pass card and all of that stuff. They had this year Bruno from Encanto and then also the Sanderson sisters 
as Disney characters, Minnie, Clarabelle, and Daisy were the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. And those were awesome and super popular, but the lines for those were three and four times as long as the lines for the treat trails because you just can't move move people as efficiently through those. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, another thing that has been an issue or I guess issue for guests, maybe not an issue for Disney, is that Oogie Boogie Bash sold out like in less than a month, maybe in less than two weeks. No, no, no. So, less than less than 24 hours after public sale, Joe. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> so, I mean, Oogie Boogie Bash has been completely sold out. What has that done to crowds? Is it super crowded? Or did you feel like, you know, it, maybe it sold out because they had less supply for this premium experience? Yeah, right. But, you know, what, what were the crowds like? No, I definitely thought that they reduced the capacity just ever so slightly from the busier Oogie Boogie Bashes that I have attended. And it's sort of hard to gauge that compared to last year with last year still being sort of pandemic year and and different sensibilities. But it felt less crowded, at least um, compared to my first attendance in 2019. You know, still some crowds for like the choke points, like I said, the Sanderson sisters and things like that. But I felt like for the rides, I could get on anything that I wanted, which was not the case the first year. And even still, the things that were the most popular, I was able to get through without crazy long lines, especially later in the party as crowds started to disperse a little bit. So that was, I think, part of it. I think Disney probably sold fewer tickets. But there's also been a lot of speculation that scalpers are starting to play a role this year. And I know Disney is really patrolling the resellers. And I do wonder whether some of the sellouts were a result of people trying to scalp and Disney knows that and then thus is cracking down. So there's definitely been some chatter on some of the blogs, the news blogs and in the Facebook groups about that. So do not resell. (laughs) Do not. I mean, people have had their annual passes canceled this season about that, even just somebody trying to offload an extra ticket. So I would be very, very careful there. But but yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see whether Disney wants to add more parties in future years. I mean, because that's, that's a bad guest experience for these things to sell out within 24 hours. Like at the end of June, people aren't planning their Disney vacations that early necessarily for fall. And it shunted a lot of people out of Disney vacations who would have, you know, planned them otherwise. Yeah. What is this BTS? Um, So I guess my last question is logistically, Are you allowed into California Adventure early? Did you find that most people will spend the day in Disneyland and then come over? Or what is the best logistic practice for taking on Oogie Boogie Bash if you manage to get those tickets within 24 hours? Just like with Mickey's Not So Scary, there's a mix-in period. So from 3 to 6 p.m., you're allowed to get into DCA early before the party starts and the party then starts at 6 and everybody else gets kicked out. So the mix-in period is busy. I didn't feel like I could get a lot done. I did find out, though, that I was able to purchase paid Lightning Lane during that period. So I actually did um, just to see if I could. And that's actually a nice little thing to think about. For so, science. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, for science. But, you know, that that's 
actually really great. I, I purchased web slingers, which, you know, a lot of families might want to do that. Just, you know, throw the money at it, a little bit more money. What What's more when these tickets are 150 or $170? <laughs> but yeah, I actually did like that though, because if you really want to get in a popular ride like Red Eater Springs Racers or Web Slingers, then, you know, maybe you can without uh, a wait as, as well. So I use that mix-in period usually to eat dinner, like I mobile order an early dinner, you know, before the, the candy craziness starts and then you know just kind of see the sites and some of the other offerings but it's not really that efficient for doing rides lines are pretty long and then how late is the party so the party goes until 11 and if you can stay until that 10 to 11 hour you can really get a lot done a lot of families come to this party and it's too late for their kids and they find that out <laughs> after the fact. And, you know, obviously their kids pass out in strollers and things like that. But a lot of families do call it a night and leave early. And that does make the lines quite short between 10 and 11. I mean, basically once that second parade happens, then a lot of families clear out. So I started doing some of the harder to do things while people were camped out for that second parade and was able to get in a lot of the really popular things. I, I did get to meet Bruno. So we'll talk about that. Uh, no, <laughs> bad pun. Sorry. I got um, it. No, I, got I know. It. I had to. I, I see what you did there. I see what I did there. And then I got to yeah. <laughs> go down Villains Grove, which I have kind of mixed feelings about. It's really beautiful for adults, but this is like a almost like a a dreamscape where there are a lot of lights that are suggestive of villains, but there's no characters there. It's really pretty. And the local super fans, you know, do rave about it. I think kids aren't very interested in it because they're like, where are the characters? But I got to kind of take that in this time without a long line, which I appreciated. Nice. Well, from a late night at California adventure to rope dropping Disneyland, let's move to your day two, just like a normal force March of happiness, Leslie bed late, up early how early were you up for rope dropping disneyland and how early did you you know queue up so i got up at 6 a.m so i went to bed at like one <laughs> by the time i got back and recorded my trip report dutifully for our patrons but yeah so it was a short short sleep but i got up at six and headed out the door a little before seven so it was queued up for security just before they open they usually open i think at 7 15 ish so I was there maybe 720, something like that. So I was there a little bit before they opened the security gates, got right through, was right at the Esplanade, you know, close into the lines, got in, got to, almost to the front of the rope. So, and I was just watching kind of what was happening with the early entry guests that morning, because this is the first time I've been back to Disneyland since Disneyland brought back early entry for on-property hotel guests. I was kind of curious, does it affect rope drop? Is it, you know, going to make certain lines long or am I going to see it? And I wasn't even aware of it. They sort of shunt the early entry guests off to the side towards Tomorrowland right by Plaza Inn. And I didn't see that many people. So that was kind of nice to see. And it certainly didn't seem to affect the lines that I experienced. I mean, I didn't go to Peter Pan. <laughs> That's the one ride that unless you're very, very first, then maybe you don't want to go to in Fantasyland. But I did go to plenty of other rides in Fantasyland and they were no different than they were on my last visit. Yeah. And to clarify, early entry mattered because you were staying offsite on this trip. So you did not get early entry. The on-site Disneyland hotel guests got 30 minutes early entry. Oh, random tip, by the way. 
I've heard rumors that if you're staying on site, they have like 75 Oogie Boogie Bash tickets uh, in the morning, like at 6 a.m. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's true. You know, if you're looking for the tickets. Okay, so, uh, you know, if you're looking for the tickets, go ahead and get those. But anyway, if you're staying on site, you get an extra half an hour head start. Reminder, for those of you who forgot, Disneyland's a lot of their, in fact, the majority of their Fantasyland attractions do not have Genie Plus at all. And even though, Leslie, you had Genie Plus on this trip, if you want to ride Alice in Wonderland's Peter Pan, which, of course, you skipped, Snow White, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, even Dumbo, you can't do that with Genie Plus. So it's interesting to hear that early entry didn't really affect your lines outside of Peter Pan. Although I guess since there's only three Disneyland on-site hotels, maybe that is why that happened. So what was your Genie Plus experience? So my Genie Plus experience was very similar to the last trip I was there, like shooting fish. Still fish in a barrel. Yeah, fish in a barrel. I mean, it we was... Need a new, we need a new <laughs> metaphor. I mean... I guess so. This Using the shooting fish in a barrel metaphor has become shooting fish in a barrel for Disneyland Genie Plus. That's true. That's true. So it was really quite easy and I wasn't working the system that hard because like I said I was there for this meetup so I had a lot of the little events during the day where I was meeting people in the park and and wasn't really trying to go that hard on the rides but you know it was just trying to work the system enough to see what the state of it was and it was still quite easy you know was able to do the Fantasyland rope drop while I kind of waited a little bit to book that first Genie Plus and the first one I booked was Haunted Mansion Holiday for something like about a 9.30 return time. Somewhere around there, I can't remember exactly, because that is the most popular attraction in Disneyland Park during Halloween time because everyone wants to see the Nightmare Before Christmas ride overlay. So it does kind of change your strategy um, during this time of year. Indiana Jones, of course, is also the other by far most popular attraction to get so those are the two that you need to start your morning prioritizing, which um, I wasn't riding Indy that day. So I didn't didn't focus on that one. But but yeah, I mean, as long as you sort of know what to get first with Genie Plus, then you can really devise a, an awesome strategy. I did meet a couple from Canada at some point later in the day who didn't understand the two-hour rule. And it broke my heart because they wanted to get Indiana Jones and they saw you know, at some point mid-morning, gosh, it has a return time of 6 p.m. I won't be able to get another ride for eight hours. And and I and my heart broke because I was like, no, no. <laughs> if your return time is, you know, that much later, you can get your next Genie Plus no more than two hours later. And they didn't understand it. And they missed their chance to really maximize Genie Plus. So it's just Wait, vital. So did they miss the entire eight hours or yeah. at least or, you catch them like four hours? I don't know. Did- I don't know if they, they didn't book it because it was eight hours later and they wanted to get something else or if they did and then were shut out of everything else. They didn't try. But in any event, they just fundamentally misunderstood the rules of Genie Plus. And like, they weren't clueless. They had done research. They, you know, it it just, the rules are so nuanced that I think if you're new to this, you know, maybe you didn't do Max Pass and remember that legacy rule, then, you know, you might miss it. Has Disneyland updated its app like Disney World to have at the top of your tip board, it tell you when the next time you can book is? Yes, that is there, but it wasn't, yeah, it's just on the tip board. And it's not a huge notification, so I can see why people would still miss it, but if at least there's that, maybe it'll help some people. Yeah, but if you don't 
book it in the first place, you don't get it. So that's the thing. So if you if you don't think to book something, then you won't see it there. So, you know, I guess you have to give it a go and then wait for that notification to be there. But yeah, unfortunate. Disneyland with Kids Facebook group, everyone. Yeah. Uh, if you need these, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure you already have that under control. Um, and so I was texting with you on the day and you were kind of grousing about, you know, you're not as into fireworks spectaculars and nighttime shows as I am. And you were grousing about having to stay for Halloween screams, you know, for work, quote unquote. But uh, then you texted me back saying that uh, it actually ended up being a pretty good show. And I didn't even know before you went that Disneyland has a separate Halloween fireworks show. So that was pretty cool news to me as well. So tell us about Halloween screams. Sure. So Halloween Screams used to be the Halloween show that was played during Mickey's Halloween party back before Oogie Boogie Bash when the party was in Disneyland Park. So they have just kept it on and switched over the fireworks shows uh, during regular nights just to give, I think, a lot of the guests a, a taste of Halloween who aren't able to go to Oogie Boogie Bash. You know, I don't know how hard it is to change these fireworks shows nightly and, and, and whatnot, but apparently not that hard if they're willing to do it. So I um, did get to see the show and yeah, I'm not a huge fan of like shows and nighttime spectaculars. I'm a ride girl, but I did do it for the sake of research, like you said, and it was great. It actually is a very good fireworks show, a lot of fun, a lot of villains. The projections on Main Street are excellent. I camped out just a couple of storefronts down Main Street from the hub so that I could see some of the projections in my peripheral vision but could still be pretty close to the castle. And I had to get there about 45 minutes to even just get a spot, and it was really crowded. I mean, the thing that was a big negative about this was the crowds. Everybody wanted to see Halloween Screams who was in the park, and after it ended, it was just a sea of people, and I was trying to get back to Splash Mountain to beat the crowds to Fantasmic because a lot of people, there are two Fantasmic shows on either end of Halloween Screams. So a lot of people, you know, go to the fireworks and then try to catch the second Fantasmic show. So they're headed through Frontierland and Adventureland to get there. And that was just wall-to-wall people not moving, which was not fun. (laughs) So that's something to think about. But the show was worth it. I'm glad I saw it. I had a lot of fun. Definitely worth seeing it because I do wonder like will they keep doing this every year this was you know like I said the Halloween party fireworks and maybe they will if it's so popular but you never know how early did you have to get to the main street or the hub if you wanted a good spot for fireworks and in terms of that huge crowd would have been better if you had just left the park I mean, people camp out for the fireworks several hours in advance, and I wasn't going to do that. Like, if you want a prime view in front of the castle, then you've got to be, I don't even know, two, three hours, maybe more. So by the time I walked up at about 45 minutes in advance, I mean, the hub was pretty much full. So, and there were people all along Main Street USA, but they had not yet filled in the street. So I was able just to sit kind of like, one person in from the curb, like on the street. And then at some point they come and they make everybody stand up and then they fill in the street. So that, that worked for me, but 45 minutes, that's as long as I'm going to wait. That's like my max. I probably could have gotten the same spot 30 minutes in advance, but not much more than that. And, and yes, I probably could have left the park more easily than I could have going back into the park. 
you know, if I was going out instead of in, it would have been less of a crowd crush, but it was still a lot of people, a lot. All right. So let's move on to California Adventure on your last day. Did you rope drop again? So no, this was a late start, a rare late start for me because um, we were doing a breakfast meetup at the Courtyard, one of my favorite hotels. We were doing that for our group members. So I did not get to rope drop, but it was actually a great strategy because I you know, got a chance to test out doing Disneyland or I guess doing DCA the way that normal people do sometimes sleeping in. So it was a challenge and I was up to the challenge. And I proved to myself that even on a pretty busy day, I think it was like a six out of 10, according to touring plans that day that, you know, this was a weekend. Yeah, weekend. It was a Saturday morning. You know, it's entirely possible to do DCA or do Disneyland getting a late start as long as you employ some of the strategies available to you. So I sort of think about the the strategies at Disneyland that are available. There's there's rope drop, there's Genie Plus, there are single rider lines, and you don't have to use all of them. I feel like at Disney World, you have to use all of them if you really want to dodge crowds and get in a lot of rides in a single day. And at Disneyland, I think if you use two of the three, you're okay. You know, I guess you can throw in paid lightning lane on top of that as well. And I decided to sort of do a combination of a little bit of Genie Plus with single rider lines and then just looking for the rides that still had pretty short lines, even getting a late start. So I got into the park at 910 It was an 8 a.m. opening, of course, with guests with early entry getting in at 7.30. And I went first to Radiator Springs Racers. The single rider line had a 12-minute wait and was right. You timed it? Yeah, I timed it. It They they told me, I asked the cast member as I got in, like, what do you think? How long? And they said, "Eh, about 10 minutes. So I timed it. And I really feel like early in the morning is the best time for that single rider. Even later, it's still not super bad. But yeah, that was my experience too. Yeah, because so many people who are rope dropping want to stay with their families. And so they're not breaking off. And then the locals use single rider the most at Disneyland. And they're not getting there first thing in the morning. A lot of them live, you know, traffic. They're an hour plus away. They're just not there at that hour for the most part. So yeah, it's a great time to use single rider. So I did Radiator Springs Racers. And then I did single rider at Web Slingers. Also, I mean, essentially it was a walk-on. I did the pre-show, and then when I got in the single rider line, I was the fourth person waiting. So it was just a matter of a minute or two. And then from there, I went over to Pixar Pier, and I had a Toy Story lightning lane that I could have redeemed right away, but I realized the line for the Pixar Pal around, the big you know, Ferris wheel, was building very quickly at that hour. Like I knew if I waited 15 more minutes, it would be much longer. So I went a little bit past Toy Story, went ahead and went on the swinging gondolas for the Pixar Pal around, had an under 15 minute wait for that, which was great. And then backtracked to Toy Story to redeem my lightning lane, at which point... Okay. Yep. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) I need to ask you about Pixar Pal around. It looks nausea inducing. Oh, can you explain explain Pixar Pal around to people who don't know what it is? So it's a Ferris wheel, and there are regular static, you know, gondolas on it. Or I guess maybe they maybe they swing a little bit. I don't remember if the static ones swing a little bit, but they're I mean they're safe. It feels like a regular Ferris wheel, and they're ones that are swinging that are on basically like a miniature roller coaster track, and they like go all the way to the edge of the Ferris wheel, then they come back and then they swing. Like you're, I don't even know, 
And a lot of people are really terrified by these swinging gondolas, like super, super terrified, like more than a roller coaster, which I don't get. But, you know, people have different, you know, phobias and fears of heights and things like that. So <laughs> I I wanted to do it. And I did ride with um, two very nice ladies from Orlando. And one of them was deathly afraid and was doing it for her mother or sister, whoever she was with. And so I guess I got that perspective. But yeah, people have very strong feelings about the swinging gondolas. All right, well, let's continue on. What happened after Toy Story Mania? All right, after that, then continued around, hit Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind, and then made my way to Goofy Sky School, where I also used single rider, and I was the only person in the single rider line. And at that point, the wait was like 30 minutes, and they don't always open single rider there. Like, if there's no wait, they don't open it. And if there's too long of a wait, they don't open it because they don't have places for people to really queue for the single rider line to get that long. So it was glorious. It was the best. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, just just really running the table here, um, doing a ton of rides with that late start. Then went to Golden Zephyr, which is right across, um, and then made my way to Soren, where I had a lightning lane to redeem at 11.30 a.m. So if you're doing sort of the math, I started at later than 9 a.m., and by 11.30, I was on Soren. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rides in two and a half hours. I mean, that's a really good deal. And then I'm guessing you just stacked lightning lanes for your afternoon, or did you take it easy in the afternoon? So I had some lunch meetings and some things to do blogger-wise. So I took a big break. We were actually going to go see... Um, after lunch, we went to see a musical celebration of Coco with the group as part of a meetup. So I, I basically knew I wasn't going to be riding anything from noon until, say, 2.33. So I used that opportunity, yes, like you said, to stack lightning lanes over in Disneyland, the things that I hadn't done the first day or the things that I wanted to do again. And this is really where the strategy is super, super powerful because at Disney land you know, yes there are certain rides where the return times get pushed much much later but there are a lot of rides where the return times remain close to instantaneous until dinner time or later so there's a strategy you can use which is basically you want to book first as you're stacking the most popular ride that has the latest out return time and then you want to backfill the space before that with the rides that have closer in return times. So I booked first Indiana Jones. It had a 4.30 return time when I booked it. The next thing I booked was Space, which did have a little bit later return time, 5.40 when I booked it. But then I started being able to backfill. I could book Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run for a 4.15 return time. And then I scanned into that first, which made me eligible immediately for the next lightning lane, was able to book Thunder for 740. So I was sort of able to do a combination of stacking, but also the mad dash, right? Because the last thing I booked was almost instantaneous, which made me eligible again. And then I could continue to book things that were near instantaneous as long as I was using them. So it was great. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. And it's great that, you know, Genie Plus works as intended at Disneyland. Let's finish the night up at World of Color, which uh, I did not get to do because it opened like the weekend after we left in April. Since it just came back, since my last trip, tell us what World of Color is for those who don't know um, and, you know, 
is it uh, worth seeing? I know it's a nighttime show, Leslie, so maybe it's not that great for you. It's a nighttime show over in California Adventure. It's set on the pier, actually on the water in front of the pier. They have water spouts and sprays, and they project you know, images and play music onto the sprays of water, you know, all lit up with different beautiful colors. And, you know, I actually really like the show as far as, you know, I like nighttime spectaculars. The thing that's a little bit tricky about it is a lot of the viewing areas are not great. There are things kind of in the way of, you know, getting a clear view of everything. So, I mean, even I've done before, there's a dessert party for the for it as well. And even with a dessert party, you sometimes have a view that has a little bit of obstruction. But the way they're doing World of Color right now is they actually have a virtual queue for the two different nighttime shows that you select in the app. You have to be in the park to be able to select it. And they're released at noon every day. And I actually, (laughs) I set an alarm on my phone for 11.55, but I was setting an alarm for so many other things like Genie Pluses and like meetups and things like that, that when it went off, I thought it was my mobile order <laughs> pickup time, and I forgot it was for World of oh, Color. We've all been there, Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the over planners have been there. <laughs> so I forgot to book the the virtual queue, but there there is some space where along the bridge into Pixar Pier where they let people who are slackers like me stand. It's a little bit of a side view, but it's still pretty good actually. So. You know, if you miss that chance, don't don't fear. There is a chance to just walk up. And, and I did walk up, I mean, maybe 20 minutes in advance, maybe a little bit more than that, and was able to get a pretty decent spot. But, you know, it, it's it's not great <laughs> in terms of the, the viewing area. And I did, I did leave before it was finished just to beat the crowds because my feet were done. I just couldn't stand anymore. I, I did 67,000 steps in three days. So my feet just, you know, the standing is the worst part. I, I was done, but <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I saw it. Don't use your Fitbit as an excuse for nighttime <laughs> spectacular hating, Leslie, please. I saw um, most well, of it. Spe- yeah. <laughs> yes. You got the gist. Um, speaking of all those steps that you took, you know, let's finish this long journey of your you know it was a short trip and again this is why disneyland can be so great you were only there for three days and obviously you got a ton done pretty much did everything you needed to do in both parks but you know what are your kind of takeaways from what disneyland is like since uh, you haven't been there for a few months how are things looking at disneyland resort so genie plus like we say fantastic So that is the lesson. It's worth it. It's just worth paying for it there, no question. The thing that I did notice that was sort of more in the negative column was that a lot of the rides have got some serious maintenance issues. I mean, we've been talking a lot about downtime. I know um, one of our favorite Disney podcasts, Disney Dish, Lynn Test, has been talking about just the downtime for all of these rides and the reliability really being a problem. And I did notice that Indiana Jones is having a whole lot of issues, a lot of downtime. I got a multi lightning lane for that when it went down, when I had it, had it booked for my last day. And then I did ride Splash Mountain because I thought it might be my last chance to ride it before it converts to Tiana's Bayou Adventure And it was in a really sad, sad state. Like there was a whole section of the ride that was dark. There were no lights on and none of the animatronics worked in that section of the ride. Like it was embarrassing. I cannot believe that Disney was running the ride at all looking that bad. 
And then I also noticed Radiator Springs racers. There are a lot of the cars in the dark part of the ride that are supposed to move forward and then move. And they aren't moving forward anymore. They're just static. And then, you know, they're doing sort of the animatronic part of them, but they're not actually, you know, they don't have the full range of motion. So that was kind of a bummer to see. I hope they start to fix some of these things. But, you know, then again, this is the company that has the Yeti that hasn't worked in how many years, right? That's an engineering issue. Okay. Okay. Apparently, uh, the rumor, the rumor, the rumor is that Expedition Everest will sink into the ground one inch per. It was sinking into the ground or something. That's why it can't move. But I don't know if that's what? substantiated or not. Yeah. No. No. That's that's what they said. And uh, yeah, I you know I know I've talked about this just within the last couple episodes. But they Radio Harambe specifically asked Joe Rody about it, and he made it sound like it is something that could be fixed. But it would take a lot of, you know, I think it, it sounded like the engineering solution is just going to be way too much to, to make it worth it. And he did make a good point, which was uh, all the kids who have been grown up in the last 20 years, you know, they didn't know that Yeti ever moved. So the strobe light Yeti is uh, what they've known. So not that that excuses Splash Mountain not working. They're probably not bothering to fix it since they're going to put it take it down in a couple months uh, or radiator Springs having those issues. I mean, Disney really needs to get their stuff together Um, on that note though. I read an interesting article uh, about this where Lentesta was quoted and they were saying that because of the pandemic work supply issues, a lot of that institutional knowledge has been lost again, Joe Rody, he's gone, right? So, you know, you've lost people. So still, I think uh, they, they need to figure it out. All these ride breakdowns are not, it's just not good for the guest experience. And one of these days, one of these things is going to catch up to Disney, if not all of them. For sure. For sure. Well, before um, we get to the Disney do or don't, I do want to add one more positive thing, even though I want to end it on a negative note. One thing I noticed from this trip is just how many Halloween offerings there are at Disneyland, even if you don't have an Oogie Boogie Bash ticket. So I think a lot of people, you know, felt really disappointed and not able to get the tickets this year. But I think it's important to know that you can still really experience Halloween at Disneyland, even if you don't have that party ticket. You know, you have Halloween screams. There's actually a villain's dance party for younger kids on the Tomorrowland stage. You've got Miguel doing meet and greets in Frontierlands. And I think Mirabelle is there as well. Um, I didn't see her, but she has been there. So I'm assuming she's been there as well. And then you have the Plaza de la Familia and the musical celebration of Coco Show over in DCA. And that is a gem. I put a little video clip on my Instagram stories in a highlight. So go take a peek at that because like grinning ear to ear is all I can say. And like, I'm not a show person, but it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. So that's a great way to, you know, get to celebrate Halloween and the Dapper Dan sing Halloween songs. So it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, and we know you love uh, Dapper Dan's. And we also know you love a Disney do or don't. So thank you so much for sharing your experience at Disneyland this past weekend. Uh, Why don't you share with us a Disney do or don't from your trip? So I would say for people who visit Disney parks like me... Fairly often, you probably have your favorites and the things you do again and again and again. And as a result, you probably have things that you never do. So my Disney do or don't would be do those attractions, the ones that you skip trip after trip after trip, um, you know, go back to them, revisit them. I did, like I said, Golden Zephyr at DCA on the pier. 
I did um, the Main Street vehicles, like on the Omnibus. I don't think I've been on a Main Street vehicle since I've birthed my first child. So like more than 13 years. And I also went again on the Storybook Land Canal Boats, which I'm really glad I did because I had just done that ride at Disneyland Paris and was able to sort of really do the comparison side to side. So do those things. You know, I did both nighttime spectaculars. I didn't do Fantasmic. I really can't stomach the crowds at Fantasmic, but I did the fireworks and I did World of Color. So do those things that you don't always do. Like I said, some of these turned out to be really big highlights for me. So give that a shot. Yeah, great tip. Although Golden Zephyr looks like uh, it would uh, not do well with my vertigo. But other than that, I, I, I totally agree. Always try the things that you generally skip. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for sharing your trip. Really appreciate it. I know some people, some listeners have been emailing me that they will be going to Disneyland in this fall. So if that's you, hopefully these tips have helped you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And other than that, Leslie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And I will see you lobbying Bob Chapek to bring Ernesto Dela Cruz to Magic Kingdom. Thanks, Joe. 